This morning, we are continuing in our series called The Kingdom Manifesto. It's not meant to sound like a weird thing, but it's just a way of understanding Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he gave at the very beginning of his ministry in the region of Galilee. We've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, and this is that part, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been learning what Jesus taught his followers about the kingdom of heaven, specifically the standards of the kingdom of heaven. And so far, the striking truth that was evident for people back then and can even translate for us today is that the kingdom of heaven that's talked about in the Bible is different than anything we would expect as people who have come out of the cultures and values of this world. So far, we've gotten the impression that Jesus is teaching them something different than they were used to, and that proves to be a challenge to anyone who wishes to follow Jesus. So Jesus began his talk with a list of eight virtues or eight characteristics. We call them the Beatitudes that belong to people of the kingdom of God. The first four we learned that we receive God's blessing through practiced faith, that all of those virtues lead us to that idea, that we develop these kingdom virtues throughout our journey of faith, especially in the place where our faith is tested and tried through all of life's challenges. In the last set of four, we learned that we participate in God's blessing through spiritual formation, that as followers of Jesus, there's a spiritual character that's being built into our inner being through the process called discipleship. But following Jesus isn't without its challenges. In fact, as a summary of all the Beatitudes, Jesus offers the statement to his disciples that they would be blessed for any persecution that they received because of claiming the name of Jesus. It wasn't a question of if they would be persecuted, but it was more a matter of when. The Beatitudes reveal God's care for his people and have given us the truth that we are blessed when we live the king's way, the king being God um, and Jesus Christ. So, building on all of that, the title for today's message is Be the Change be the change. Our passage this morning is Matthew 5 verses 13 through 16, and the big idea that we're going to be exploring together today is that God is known through our influence. God is known through our influence. There's this quote. In college, it became one of my favorite quotes, and it kind of became a cliché quote that often got used anytime people tried to inspire Angie's and my generation to action. Uh, The quote comes from the activist Mahatma Gandhi from the 1900s. I didn't realize as I was researching how early on his life was in the 1900s. Like he died in 1948 or something. It was ridiculous. I thought, oh man, I thought for sure he was into the 80s or something like Mother Teresa. 
anyways. So that's a total aside, but there's this quote that often gets used by Mahatma Gandhi, and he said this. He said, be the change you wish to see in the world. Be the change you wish to see in the world. And he modeled that with his life. He started out, I guess, he was born, can you believe this? He was born back in like 1869, and he was brought up, and he went, he was from India, and he eventually became a lawyer, um, having gone to school in London, because those countries were connected at that time. But then throughout his career, he became this activist went way before it was cool (laughs) to stand up for the people who were being oppressed in India. And one such example, it was amazing to read. uh, If you want just a fun thing to look up, look up Mahatma Gandhi and look up just his Wikipedia page. It's fascinating. But what I love most is that he modeled this idea of be the change you wish to see in the world because he was against colonialism, so where people colonialized different countries, and India was a colony of uh, Great Britain at the time, and there was this salt tax. We love taxes, right? And so we know a little bit about that. But what was fascinating to me is that Gandhi had this approach that not many other people at the time used, and it was nonviolence. We have many examples throughout history of people who wanted to spur on change through brute force. Um, and according to the Wikipedia page, Gandhi got known for using, quote, soul force, which whatever. But the point is, though, he wanted to do this through not being violent, through not forcing it on other people, but actually changing their minds. And so what he did, he organized this thing called the Salt March. Branding, it's amazing. And so the Salt March, because of the salt tax, and he and 300 other people walked for 25 days from one city to the coast where the salt was being made. And all along the way, they were being beaten by British soldiers. And that's not a slight against Britain because, I mean, they have tons of black eyes on their history. But, but they were being oppressed in this way. But they kept marching and none of them raised their fists. None of them fought back. They just kept going. And he modeled, he demonstrated with his life this idea that he had of trying to change people's minds without violence. Now, I'm not here to argue that today. We can have talks other times. But he had a cause he was fighting for. The cause that we have as the church, as people who follow Jesus, who are a part of what is called the kingdom of heaven, even though we're, we're not fully there yet. The cause of the kingdom of heaven, the change we wish to see in the world is that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done because we believe that his idea for humanity in the world is much higher and much better than our idea. And we want to see people experience true freedom. We want them 
to be healed in Jesus' name. We want to see people experience and embrace the love that God has for them. We want to see true life change when people's lives are rescued and redeemed and restored from being lost in sin. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is that it's full of people who have personally experienced that life-changing love of God and through Jesus Christ. And it's with that joy and humility that we rise to the ethic of showing that love through how we live each and every day. That's why I believe that the words of people like Mahatma Gandhi said nearly a hundred years ago, can you believe that, captures the heart of what Jesus taught his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount way before Gandhi ever got to it. Be the change, because God is known through our influence. Now, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation this morning, but whatever translation you use is A-OK as long as you read it. So here we go. Matthew 5, beginning in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The first thing we get from this passage is that we carry the difference God has made in our lives. We carry the difference God has made in our lives. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, so we are like salt. And that feels like a strange metaphor for Jesus to use to describe the people who follow him, does it not? So for just a moment, let's take a step back and think about what salt meant to the people listening to Jesus on that mountain by the sea. For people in first century Palestine, salt only came from one place, the shores of the Dead Sea, which is also known as the Sea of Salt. Now, the way salt was harvested from the Dead Sea sort of worked kind of like a more crude version of the salt works that uh, I've experienced when I've gone and looked at it up in Seaside. Seaside? Is that where? We've seen that before. I'm looking at my wife, Angie. She's so beautiful. I'm all over the place today. Here we go. So at the salt works, if you've been there or you, you've heard of something like that, you boil the water uh, of, from the sea and that gives you salt. But instead of that, people along the Dead Sea would just take water, they'd pour it out on the rocks and in the process of evaporation, they use the sun to get salt from its water. 
And there was such a great amount of salt that was collected around the Dead Sea that there came to be two layers in those salt deposits. There was an outer layer and an inner layer. The outer layer was mixed with all kinds of impurities from the elements, from the world causing the chemical makeup of the outer layer to change. And that outer layer wasn't very salty. It had lost its saltiness. Whereas the inner layer, which was closer to the rock and was sheltered from all the elements, was a purer and more salty salt. They had different uses for salt back then, kind of like we do today. They used salt to season their food. They used it as an antiseptic cleaner. Ouch. (laughs) And they also used salt as a preservative. From the way Jesus compared his disciples to the substance of salt, there's a few things we need to think about. One is the quality of the salt, the effectiveness of the salt, and the application the quality, the effectiveness, and the application, what it means for you and me as the church to be called salt. In Matthew 5, Jesus refers to the quality of the salt being saltiness. Uh, We all have had some experience with salt as a seasoning, I'm assuming. Whether it's basic table salt or whether it's combined with other seasonings like garlic or other things that I can't think of in this moment, or onions or whatever. Salt is used to enhance the flavor of a meal. Amen? Amen. Ooh, I love that amen. Now, imagine you were sitting down to try to enjoy a nice bowl of chowder. I don't know about you, but I like my chowder to be salty. Salty. Maybe it's because I love uh, the pairing of seafood and salt. It's in amazing pastime. Maybe it's because I used to smoke, and so my taste buds need a little bit of extra help. But the bottom line is, I love salty chowder. And usually when I go to places to get chowder, I know that not everyone shares my passion for salty seafood. And so I know that more than likely I'm going to need to grab that shaker of salt. So I place the order, chowder comes, I reach for my spoon to try to taste it to see how much I need to add, and then I inevitably grab the salt shaker, and that's my process for eating chowder. And for salt to be most effective, in most applications, it needs to be scattered, not dumped, right? That's why I don't give my children the salt shaker, because they're just going to dump it all in there and wonder why it tastes so bad. Because the more concentrated it is, the more of that salty quality is present, and the more it overpowers your food. That's why we normally add grains of salt rather than big hunks, because those individual grains of salt, that salty quality in each of them is enough to season and change the environment they're in. So, you are the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus calls you. And to the places we are scattered, we carry the difference God has made in our lives. To be scattered means to be spread out. I would submit to you today that the local church is a local expression of the kingdom of God. Absolutely, 100%. 
and friends, the kingdom of God is not a building. It's not a denomination. I mean, somebody probably named it a denomination after that because they they like to be clever. But the kingdom of God is not a denomination. It's not a country. It's not anything that any one of us can have a corner on. It's not one of our in particular churches in town. We're doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong. No. We as followers of Jesus, people who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are the kingdom of God. People are the kingdom of God. We are people marked by God's saving presence in our lives. So even though we are blessed to get to meet here at 1318 Rhododendron Drive in this beautiful house of worship, you carry the difference that Jesus has made in your life everywhere you go. And that different quality in you is the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in you. Because everyone who claims the name of Jesus is in a process of developing the holy character of Jesus Christ in their life. And that's the process that we call, in churchy language, sanctification. And our process of sanctification reveals that we're being seasoned by God's presence in our lives. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes the difference. That's the change. That's our saltiness. And we carry it with us everywhere we go. That's the influence that God has had on our lives. And by extension, that's the influence that we bring to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our community, to our city, and beyond. When we scatter, God is known through our influence. That's the good news. The bad news is that Jesus also gave this idea. He gave the good with the bad. This idea that salt can lose its saltiness. Now, maybe Jesus was just exaggerating. I read a commentary that said maybe he was just using hyperbole like, rabbis did sometime and said this is absurd why would salt ever lose its saltiness and so maybe he was just using exaggeration and hyperbole and all of that for the sake of a metaphor saying you are salt be salty but maybe jesus was giving his disciples a warning and i would submit to you that that would probably be the case because the truth is we are compromised when we yield to the world's influence. Much of the scandal that we hear about today, about people in the church going completely the wrong way, it damages their witness and it damages our witness. And often that gets traced back to the place where rescued, redeemed, restored people started flirting with sin and started allowing all kinds of impurities to push out the Holy Spirit's influence in their lives. So, what happens when we yield to the world's influence? We get compromised, and we stop living the difference that God has made in our lives. Now, for many of us, maybe you're thinking this today, the obvious solution 
is that as followers of Jesus who want to keep ourselves pure, we got to separate ourselves from the world and all its influences. We got to cut ourselves off from all those impurities and all the brokenness from the world because clearly that's impurifying us. And so because of that, we can't maintain our Christian witness. We got to cut ourselves off and be holy because God is holy. And that's what the Bible says. We got to do that. But on the flip side, I would submit to you that we also compromise our witness when we remove our presence from the world. It's really great to be salty salt, especially on clam chowder. Can I get an amen? In the same way that it's really great to have experienced the life-changing love of God and be transformed by his grace. But in both of those cases, if our influence is never shared, then the spaces we're meant to impact and influence with our presence will stay the same as a bland bowl of chowder. We must learn to maintain our difference, the thing that makes us unique when we are scattered because people experience God through interacting with us each and every day. Some questions to consider are, who has the greater influence in your life? Is it the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of this world? Are you living out of the fear of the world? Or are you living in faith, believing what it says in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world? We carry the difference God has made in our lives. Our God is known through our influence. The next thing we learn from our passage is that we show the greatness of our God. So in verses 14 through 15, Jesus said, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Something I love about living here in Florence is that we live in a part of town, not everybody has this privilege, but we live in a part of town where um, most of the, the houses on our street don't turn their lights on at night. And one of the really cool things for me, I love being out in like rural country kind of area, is that when all the lights are off and you look up at the sky, you see the stars. In the blackness that's up there, you get to see all the little stars in between. Now, it's not the daytime because if you put all those stars together, then you would get like the magnitude of the sun and then it would be daytime and then not nighttime. But at night, I love looking at the stars. There's, there was one time Maggie and I, we went out, uh, my daughter's name is Maggie, we went out and looked at the stars and then our neighbor, that guy, he, he flipped on his lights because he was doing something. He didn't know we were looking at the stars. But it was like, ah, oh, now I don't see as many stars. Man. 
Now, what that is called when, when the lights turn on at night and you can't see as many stars and whatnot is called light pollution. And when light is present in darkness, there's a radiance from the light itself and its glow that surrounds that light. And the closer you are to the light, it's harder to see anything that's in the darkness because you're just surrounded by that light or that just kind of captures your view. Because when light is present, it's there. And you can't help but know that it's there. So from our passage, that city on the hilltop, each year for Passover and other Jewish festivals, it was common for people in Jesus' day to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to gather and worship at the temple. And the city of Jerusalem was located along the top of a mountain range, still is, and Jesus' disciples would have been familiar with this image of a city on a hilltop because of that regular rhythm of going to Jerusalem. I imagine that if we were in kind of the surrounding area around Jerusalem at night, this elevated city with all its city torchlights on would have been kind of like a beacon radiating in the night. You couldn't miss it. And science tells us that light is made up of three different rays or what gets called wavelengths that are distinct from each other. No one of those rays would be considered light in and of themselves without the other. Each ray has its own separate function. Uh, The first originates, the second illuminates, and the third consummates. I didn't come up with it. I, I read it in a book somewhere. But the first ray is called invisible light because it's not seen or felt. The second is both seen and felt. And the third is not seen, but it's felt as heat. So let's bring all these ideas together. From what science says about light, combined with Jesus' claim that we are the light of the world, on our own, As we live out our faith day to day, we radiate a certain amount of God's brilliance because God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price. So you must honor God with your body. But when we gather together, whether it's a worship gathering or some kind of compassion ministry, or maybe we're partnering with other brothers and sisters in Jesus to impact our community, like churches actually working together instead of siloed off on their own, what a vision that would be. That concentration of all our lights together pollute a dark world. Isn't that an amazing thought? with the light of God's goodness. Like it says in Habakkuk 2.14, as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Because God is known through our influence when we gather together as light for the world. And just as the city of Jerusalem was a clear testimony to the dwelling of God through the temple, I believe the church is made up of people, you and me, 
who are now the dwelling of God here on earth. And so the purpose of a light source is to give light to a dark place. Kind of like a lamp. Jesus uses this example. If it's a dark room and you need to see the most effective way for light to spread its influence in that space is to put it in some kind of a high location. The kind of light that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5 is kind of like what we use today if you put up a chandelier or that kind of thing. And those lights are the kind that you want to influence and transform a space. In our lives, the light that Jesus says we are is the display of the transforming power of God's love in our salvation and rebirth to the world. Because when we have experienced and received the love of God and we have responded to his love by giving our lives completely to him, a light is lit by the Holy Spirit in the heart of every person who surrenders their life to Christ. And that light is the love of God, the Holy Spirit himself. So, let me ask you, is your lamp still shining? Or has the light somehow been dimmed or covered up or maybe even turned off completely? It's my prayer for you that as the Apostle Paul wrote, to the church in Ephesus, he said this to those believers, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. As the light in the world, we show the greatness of our God and we shine our light in the world, and God is known through our influence. That brings us to a challenge and an encouragement that we find from our passage. The challenge is that we are marked by the difference God has made in our lives. And we're challenged to be the change that God wishes to see in the world, to carry out his will here on earth to influence our families and our communities with the hope that we have found in Jesus. Now that might be a daunting endeavor. It might seem really scary, but the encouragement is that the Holy Spirit is with you everywhere you go. So as the worship team comes up and we prepare to respond in worship, I just want to ask you, You know, do you see yourself in this way? This is what Jesus has to say about you. It's, I, I know there were some kind of hard parts, and there's, there's probably some conviction from the Holy Spirit going around in the room a little bit, but the encouragement is God sees you as an important part of his kingdom. He sees you, you, as an influencer, you don't have to get on one of the social media networks or anything like that to be an influencer, although that's one of the ways you could be, I suppose. You can just get to know your neighbor 
as you get to know God. And as God continues to refine you to become more and more like Jesus, chances are your neighbor is going to notice something. The person you meet in the checkout line or even that cashier who's just waiting for quitting time, (laughs) they're going to notice something different in you. And, And that's a good thing. And my challenge to you is that if you're concerned about that at all, if you think that maybe somehow you have, as Jesus put it, lost your saltiness, or as Jesus put it, covered your light and haven't been shining it, and maybe you've, you feel like you've lost it, we're about to sing a song in response where we can invite the Holy Spirit to move in our heart. If you've never done that before, it's a good thing. (laughs) And the way I see it is that God is not mad at you. He wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to sing, and then we're going to close this out. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I thank you for your holiness that we can't help but see when we're around you. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage my friends here this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us and move in and through our lives. Help us to gain that quality back that maybe we feel like we've lost. Thank you, God, that every breath is a second chance, that you are just waiting like a good father for us to repent and to turn our attention and our affections back to you. So, Lord, we open up ourselves to you for you to change our hearts. In your name, amen.